Well, it is great to see you guys. And as Luke mentioned, uh, we're starting a series on prayer. And this is for anybody whose prayer life has grown weary, it's grown discouraged, um, it's grown passive, uh, perhaps even skeptical. We read about a guy in 1 Kings chapters 17, 18, and 19 who had the most incredible prayer life. He prayed and the dead came back to life. He prayed, and it didn't rain. He prayed, and fire fell from heaven. He prayed, and it rained again. Now, we tend to hear things like that, and we think, big deal. I mean, that was him. This is me. God did that for him. And we continue to be discouraged until we read a passage in James chapter 5, verse 16, about this guy with this absolutely dynamic prayer life. His name is Elijah. And we read about Elijah in the New Testament, in James chapter 5, verse 16. And God says to us that Elijah was a man just like us, flesh and blood. And he struggled with fear, he struggled with anxiety, he struggled with discouragement, and yet God heard him. And in the same way, we should pray with mountain-moving faith and expectation, and God will hear us as well. So I want to talk to you this morning about prayer uh, through a case study of the life of Elijah, and I want to learn the three ABCs with you on prayer, the ABCs of prayer. And this is how to pray and what to expect when you pray. So the three ABCs of prayer, A, is pray until you experience the authority of God in your life. B, pray until you experience a breakthrough of God in your life. And C, Pray until you experience deep, soulful communion with God. These are the ABCs of prayer. Pray until you experience authority through the Holy Spirit, breakthrough through the Holy Spirit, and communion through the Holy Spirit. And this is what we have to look forward to when we engage in persistent, passionate, expectant prayer, authority in our lives, breakthrough in our lives, and communion with God in our lives. So let's begin in 1 Kings, and we'll begin with chapter 17. And we'll read chapter 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba and Gilead said to Ahab, Ahab is the king in this day. This was the most wicked king in all of Israel's history. He was more wicked than all the kings before him. And he caused God to be very angry. And we go on to read. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, this man, Elijah, said to this wicked king, Ahab, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. And so God goes on to give them instruction. So do you hear what Elijah, this man of God, said to this wicked king? He said, there is not going to be rain nor dew. Dew. I mean, just moisture on the ground. There's not even going to be, not so much even rain, but there's not even going to be dew. Now for us, that's not such a big deal in our culture because we'll just uh, buy bottled water, right? We're good. Uh, We'll just turn on the faucet. We're okay. But this was an agricultural uh, community. This was a farming community. 
And so if they didn't have rain, it was literally life and death. And on top of that, they live in the desert. So for three years, there wasn't dew or rain. And as a result of that, vegetation stopped growing. As a result of that, the people stopped eating and selling and buying. And as the result of no rain for three years in the desert, the animals grew frail and fell over. The people were dehydrated. People became frustrated with one another. And people began dying. We read in one portion of scripture that they were even looking for just simply a blade of grass to hopefully take some livestock to. But there was nothing because in this desert, all the vegetation, all the fruit, all the animal life were dying and the people were dying and it was a toxic environment. This was the culture that they lived in. And the reason that it was dry and the reason that God withheld the rain was because of the disobedience of the people. And so, it is with our lives. If we experience dryness in our lives, oftentimes that pushes us to greater disobedience to try to satiate that dryness. And then that pushes us to greater distance from God. And it's a vicious cycle. It's the cycle of death. We are now in greater distance from God, and that creates greater dryness in our heart, and that will push us to greater disobedience, which pushes us to greater dryness, and that's greater distance, which gives us greater dryness, and that pushes us to greater disobedience, and we have a greater dryness, which creates greater disobedience. It's the cycle of death that the Israelites found themselves in. They had distance from God, and that created dryness, and that created disobedience, And they kept spiraling downward in this cycle of dryness and disobedience and distance from God. I wonder if you experience dryness in your life. And I wonder if you, like the Israelites, are on a frantic effort to satiate that dryness through every means except God. And I wonder if that's creating greater distance in your walk with God, and if that's creating greater dryness, which creates greater disobedience and greater dryness and distance. And are you in this cycle of death also? Well, this was the cycle that the Israelites were in for three and a half years. How long have you been in this cycle? Maybe just a day. Maybe, maybe you just had a rough weekend, right? And you've just been too busy for God with this weekend. Maybe it's been all week. Maybe you've had a tough week. It's been a little excessively busy this past week. Maybe you've been a little more consumed with social media or things on television or entertainment or work or, or, or just you know, busy activities or even non-busy activities to keep you too busy for God. I wonder if it's just been a busy week for you. I wonder if you're pushing now a year or two of dryness and distance and disobedience. I wonder if this is sort of characteristic of the pattern of your life to date. We can break the cycle this morning as we learn to pray until we experience the authority of God in our life, breakthrough of the Holy Spirit, and communion with Christ in our soul. So let's go on reading. So for three and a half years it didn't rain at Elijah's word. Now let's look at chapter 18, three and a half years later, verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So, there's this showdown between Ahab, 
and Elijah, between God and false gods, between the truth and the lie. And so Elijah goes up on Mount Carmel, and it was really awesome. I've been on Mount Carmel. In fact, I have a rock in my living room for Mount Carmel, and sometimes when I pray, I'll get on my knees and I'll hold that rock, and I'll say, God, your word says that I'm no different than Elijah. Elijah's no different than me. Elijah was subject to discouragement and frustration and anxiety and fear and timidity, and yet he prayed, and the fire fell from heaven. And so, if you heard Elijah's prayer, your word assures me that you will hear my prayer. And standing on that promise, I'll boldly make my request known to God. So Ahab assembled their prophets, and Elijah stood up between all of these hundreds of prophets of this false god that we've been looking at through the minor prophets, the god of Baal. And in the Baals, there were, the worship of Baal was actually the worship of several gods. You could sort of pick and choose the god of your choice. There was the sun god, there was the fertility god, and there were various gods. And isn't that a lot the way it is today, that here in our culture in America, we can sort of pick and choose our gods. We can pick the God of comfort, and the God of convenience, and the God of sexuality, and the God of immorality, and the God of drunkenness. We sort of have our choice, the God of entertainment. And when we pick and choose our own gods, in essence, what we are saying is, it's not really so much about God, or even the false gods that I choose, it's really about my desires. What serves me now? What serves my interests now? That's my God. Perhaps my will is to be entertained. Perhaps my will is drunkenness. Perhaps my will is comfort and convenience and ease or sexual immorality. Perhaps that's my will now, so I'm going to choose the God that best serves my will. And that's all a false God is. It's choosing a will over God's will because it serves our whims. And that's what creates this distance, and that's what creates this dryness, is this disobedience to bow down at the whim of our will, regardless of God's will. And so, the prophets of Baal lined up, and Elijah lined up. And it was so awesome to be on this mountain where this actually took place and to read this text and close my mind and picture the mountains and picture the, the mountainous landscapes and terrain that these guys would have been encircled by. And Elijah said, build an altar. And they built an altar. And Elijah said, let's call fire from heaven and see whose God consumes the fire. So they built the altar. They put, the false prophets put put wood on the altar, and they prayed night and day, and they prayed so fervently that they were cutting themselves. That's demonic. And no fire fell from heaven. Surprise. Elijah was so bold, he was so consumed with this holy authority that he said, now I want you to fill these, these go down to the ocean, go down to the Mediterranean Sea, or the Go down to the sea and and fill up these buckets of water. So they came back from the sea and they poured it on the altar several times. And they absolutely drenched the altar with water. And then Elijah prayed and fire from heaven fell and consumed the altar. And when we pray, we are to pray until we experience this divine authority in our life. When you're walking in dryness, you're walking in a manner that you have no authority in your life. Have you ever been there? 
Like the Israelites, you're distant from God, so you're disobedient to God, and that creates dryness in your heart, and that creates more disobedience. Have you ever walked in this cycle of death, dryness, distance, disobedience, and you sense there's no authority on your life? Well, there's a cycle of life, and this cycle of life is the inverse of the cycle of death, and we repent, and we return to God. And we experience his restoration. This is the cycle of life. We repent of our sins. We return to God. And we experience restoration. And with this, there is authority in our lives so that we can pray until the fire from heaven falls. What does it look like for the fire to fall from heaven in your life? What does that look like? You know, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, We see Jesus telling the church. Oftentimes we use this to lead people to say a prayer to receive Christ. But this is actually written to the church. And Jesus is saying, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. Open up your heart and I'll come in and I'll sup with you. I'll fellowship with you. And then the very next verse that we oftentimes don't go ahead and press into and read. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3 verse 21. And you will sit with me on my throne. What is he saying? I'm going to share my authority with you. And isn't that what he said in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. When we return to God with our whole heart, when we repent of the cycle of death and return to God, we'll experience restoration from God and we'll experience authority. Metaphorically, the fire from heaven will fall in our lives. And what the authority of God does, just like it did in 1 Kings chapter 18, is it differentiates the false gods from the true gods. It differentiates the lies from the truth. It differentiates people who are wasting their lives in the cycle of dryness to people who stand up and live with authority because they are in the cycle of life. And when we repent of the cycle of dryness and we return to God with our whole heart, we experience restoration from God and authority falls upon our life. Have you ever experienced the authority of God on your life? I remember when we were trying to buy this building, we were nomads for seven years. And we met in the Botanic Gardens for most of those seven years. And we were saving money and and putting things aside, and really being lean, and trying to find a building, and trying to save for a building. And I bet I looked at, no exaggeration, a hundred buildings. I looked at buildings that I knew we wouldn't want, so that we would recognize the building that God did want for us when it came around. I put offers in on many buildings, and I even... We couldn't afford most every building that we looked at, and so oftentimes I would just ask people to donate it, and uh, sometimes people said, yeah, you can just get out of my office now, and, and we just kept persevering. I, I, I can remember looking through countless windows of the crummiest buildings and getting the numbers and asking a realtor to meet me there, and we looked at countless buildings. And one day I was driving down Camp Bowie, and there was a liquor store right there on Camp Bowie. And I prayed, God, a liquor store has a facility, and your church is nomadic. 
How is that giving glory to you when a liquor store seems to have more credibility and more durability and is more solidified than your church? And I remember praying with that authority. It was shortly after that that we were introduced to this building. And I remember walking around here on Christmas Day. It was snowing outside. We haven't even made an offer yet. I hadn't even talked to anybody yet. I haven't even looked inside yet. But I knew without a doubt this was our home. And I felt more secure walking around this place than more at home walking around this place than anywhere else. And as soon as offices were back in action, I called and we made an offer. And they said, sorry, you're outbid by a wealthy developer in the area. It's a cash offer and you guys are a risk. So... The very next day, we put in a brand new contract, a little bit higher, stretching more than we could. And they said, yeah, sorry, you're still way outbid by a cash offer, and you guys are still a risk. So, I think it's the next day or so, we put in a little bit higher offer. And they said, okay, come in and talk to us. And they went with us. They gave the building to us, or they allowed us to buy the building at a lesser amount, at a greater risk to themselves. And what is that? That is simply the authority of God. And you want to know something? They said, the reason that we, I don't tell this much because it's kind of embarrassing, but they said, the reason that we went with you is because of your face. We saw you walking around the building, and you had love in your face for people. And that's why we went with you. What is that? That's just the authority of God. The authority of God opens doors. The authority of God moves mountains. The authority of God heals. And when we're living in this cycle of dryness from distance to disobedience, to dryness, distance, disobedience, dryness, there's just no authority in our lives. But the moment we repent of that, we enter into the cycle of life where we return to God and He restores our life and there is authority behind us. Moving mountains, opening doors. I'm just testifying of God. I, I remember I was looking for a house our entire nomadic years, also looking for a house for myself, and the Lord told me uh, in my spirit that when HopeWorks gets a home, I'll give you a home. And I just said, okay, that's cool. And shortly after HopeWorks got a home, there was a house that came available. It was, it was a short sale. It was a foreclosure. And we were able to negotiate, I was able to negotiate $100,000 below what it was worth. And right there when we were trying to close the deal, for whatever reasons that the numbers were working out, they said, you know, uh, we're going to have to lower the price about, I think it was like $10,000 or $15,000 more. And the, they were actually trying to avoid a foreclosure. It was in a short sale. The guy who was selling the house, he signed a document, got up and cursed and walked out. And the realtors looked at me and they said, you must have God on your side. I said, yeah, yeah, I do. I do. That's just a personal example of the authority of God upon your life. So if you're in this cycle of death, this cycle of dryness, I just want to encourage you to repent of that. Stop bowing down to whatever God meets your immediate whim and return to your relationship with Christ. Surrender your life with Christ so that you can be seated on the throne with Christ and experience His authority in your ministry life and in your prayers and in your daily life so that the power of God falls upon you like fire. So we pray, A, until we experience the authority of God, and we pray, B, until we experience a breakthrough in our life. Let's continue to read from this case study of Elijah. And then we read in 
um, Elijah, I'm sorry, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. There is the sound of abundant rain. Verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again seven times. Do you see what's happening here? Elijah's on the top of the mountain in the midst of this drought. And he sits down and he just sort of sits with his knees in front of him. And he puts his head between his knees and he just starts praying. And he tells his servant, go and look at the sea, see if a cloud is forming. And he comes back seven times. There's no cloud. But on the seventh time he returns, he says, well, I do see something. It's a cloud, but I wouldn't get too excited about it. It's just the, it's just the size of a man's fist. And Elijah says, that's it. I've prayed in the answer. It's about to pour rain. We are about to experience a breakthrough. The dryness is over. We are entering into a new season. And the crowd and, and the fist, the, the, the cloud that was the size of the fist increased. And in a little while the heavens grew black, and there were clouds, and there was wind, and there was great rain. And how often do we pray? And we don't seem to get the answer. We don't seem to experience a breakthrough. So we stop praying. Jesus told his disciples, listen, guys, you really need to learn to pray at least an hour. Can't you watch and pray an hour? Because if you can't at least watch and pray an hour, you will most certainly fall into temptation. Now, I have a confession to make. My food prayers... I don't think I've ever inspired anybody. You know, it's pretty much straight to the point. I've never been accused of having long food prayers. You know, usually I just thank God for the food and we dive into it. But I wonder if that's what most of our prayer lives look like at large. Just quick little formal prayers. Jesus said, if you can't watch and pray one hour, be certain you will fall into temptation. This is what our Lord says. Watch and pray an hour. Can't you watch and pray one hour? You will fall into temptation if you can't. So there has to be a characteristic incorporated into our prayer life called perseverance, tenacity, expectancy. To experience a breakthrough from the Most High in our life. So that our drought can be translated into a a refreshing. You know, when Jesus teaches on prayer, he seldom teaches on prayer without teaching perseverance and tenacity accompanied with it. The disciples in Luke chapter 11 said, Lord, teach us to pray. And from there, Jesus gave them the model prayer. Our Father who art in heaven... Hallowed be your name, that kingdom come, etc. And sometimes we just take that prayer and we sort of use it as an incantation and we just sort of chant it or recite it mindlessly or even worse, heartlessly. But Jesus isn't just giving us words to pray, he's giving us a pattern to pray in. And in this pattern, you can just write it down, A-C-T-S, Acts. There's 
A, there's adoration. We spend some time adoring the Lord, praising Him, worshiping Him, because He's worthy of it, because He's glorious, because He's good, because He came to earth, because He died on the cross, because He's been faithful in our life. So we just spend some time adoring the Lord and worshiping the Lord, maybe worshiping the Lord with a song that we sing here on Sunday morning and just praising Him. And after you spend some time worshiping the Lord, some minutes will pass, and then you go into C, confession. You just begin confessing your sin to the Lord. And as you're confessing the sins to the Lord, the Holy Spirit will bring things to your, your, your attention that maybe are unrepented in your heart. Maybe He'll remind you of that person that you're harboring resentment towards, and their face will just surface in your mind, and you need to start praying blessings on that person. Maybe He will surface a burden, a sadness in your heart, and what He's doing is He's saying, give that to me, I want to take care of that, pray that burden to me, stop carrying that on your own. But you just begin confessing sin, and and then maybe there's something that will come to mind that you realize has been creating distance between you and the Lord. It's been causing you to act sheepish, and to kind of go your own way, and ignore God. His heart's breaking, but you're ignoring God because of this thing that the Lord surfaced in your heart and mind when you're confessing sin. And after you've spent some time confessing sin, go into tea, thanksgiving. And this is when you just start thanking God for every blessing in your life. God loves a grateful people. And if you're ever discouraged, just go right into that tea and start thanking God. It's been said, what if the only thing you have in your life tomorrow is what you thank God for today? Wouldn't we get real grateful real quick? We'd be grateful for things like our eyesight, our feet, our hands, our health, our lungs, our family. I mean, the list goes on and on. And you just start thanking God for the people in your life, the blessings in your life, God's steadfastness in your life, His faithfulness in your life. And then there's S, and that supplication that's making your requests known to God. If it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to God. And there are no little matters to God. If it's important to us, it's important to God. And it's not too big for God. Nothing is too big for God because to God, it's all a small thing, right? God can move the mountains in our life like that. No need is too small for God to be attentive to. No need is too big for God to handle and for God to carry. So we make our supplications known to Him. And Jesus teaches, persevere in praying. Spend some time adoring, confessing, thanking, making your supplication known, pouring your heart out to God, and pray through. Even if the answer doesn't come initially, seven times pray, 70 times pray, seven years pray. Pray through until the Spirit breaks through and the dryness is washed away with the flood. You pray through until the Spirit breaks through in your life. After Jesus taught the model prayer, our Father who art in heaven, He then goes on to tell a word picture about praying. He says, this is what prayer is like. There's a guy and he just put his family to bed and he went to bed himself. And then he gets a knock at the door. And it's his neighbor. And his neighbor says, hey, I have company. I wasn't expecting company. They came at the last minute. And I don't have anything to feed them. Could I borrow some bread? And the guy said, no way, man. I just put the family to bed. Let's take care of this in the morning. Go to sleep. And the guy kept 
banging on the door. He said, no, I need it now. Come on, they're hungry. They've come a long way. The guy says, listen, I'm tired. My family's in bed. I'm in bed. The door's locked. Go to sleep. We'll deal with it later. And the guy kept pounding on the door. And Jesus said, finally, the guy's request was answered because of his persistence. And in the same way, persist in your praying. Persevere in your praying. Elijah prayed seven, eight times. Continue to persevere in your praying until the Spirit breaks through. But did you know that you can literally cry out to God and your prayers still crash by praying aimlessly? What's aimless praying? Aimless praying is whimsical praying. It's unfocused praying. If there's any athlete that's going to do well in their event, they're going to be focused. They're going to be disciplined. They're going to be focused. And in the same way, if we're going to be effective in our prayers, we have to be focused. What is focused faith? Focused faith. Focused prayers. Non-aimless prayers. Prayers that don't cry out but crash, but prayers that soar and invite a breakthrough into our lives. Focused faith. Focused prayers pray the promises of God. We pray the word of God. And we bang on the throne room of heaven, and we boldly make our requests known, standing in the confidence of Christ's righteousness, not our own, and we tell God, this is the promise that you put in my heart. God, here it is. Are you a truth teller or not? And we pray boldly, standing upon the promises of God, and God likes us to take him at his word and bless our lives as a result of standing upon his promises in our life. A, B, C's of prayer. We pray until we experience the authority of God in our life. B, we pray through until we experience a breakthrough in our lives. C, we pray until we experience communion with the Holy Spirit in our heart. The Bible is raw. The Bible is real. Elijah was on this mountaintop, and after the mountaintop, he crashed. Can you believe this? This guy who so boldly stood in front of kings and and the prophets of Baal and called fire from heaven and shut up the heavens and then called rain down from heaven is now intimidated and running because of the threat of King Ahab's wife Jezebel. He's spiritually exhausted. He's emotionally depleted. You know, when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're tired, H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt, because you can't trust your emotions right now. You can't trust your emotions. You're susceptible to escape of sins. You're susceptible to discouragement. I can totally relate with Elijah. He was standing tall on the mountain, praying the rain down from heaven. And next, we find him kind of curled up in the fetal position, just asking God to take his life. He says, just just take me, God. I'm the only one. I'm lonely. I'm tired. I'm doing no good. I'm ineffective. Just take me. Well, God ministered to him, and before you know it, Elijah's hiking up a mountain, and in Israel, there's these hills that are not made out of rolling green hills like we have, but they're made out of rocks, and in the rocks, there's many caves, there's many clefts, and before you know it, Elijah's up in one of these clefts in these rocky hills, and there, he's just getting shade from the sun, 
and he's tired and he's weak and he's weary, he's discouraged, he's lonely, he's susceptible to to all sorts of unthinkable things. And then, this fire passes by in front of the face of this cliff. And it's this furious fire, it just passes right by. We read in 1 Kings 19 that God was not in the fire. But then, this powerful wind, I mean it was like sandblasting that was causing chips of the rock in the cleft to break apart and fly across and he was kind of covering his face and the wind came by. It was a powerful wind, but God was not in the wind. But then, there was a whisper. And when Elijah heard the whisper, he covered his face because he knew he was in the presence of God. God was in the whisper. And when we pray, we pray through until we experience the authority of God in our lives. We pray through until we experience a breakthrough in our lives. And we pray through until we experience communion with the Holy Spirit in our lives. And God is not in the fire. God is not in the torrential wind. God is in the whisper. Which means to experience the communion of the Holy Spirit in our heart in a way that, as God did with Elijah, refreshes our spirit, renews us, restores us, gives us new insight, new direction, new vision, new strength, new energy, new joy, new expectation. We have to pray until the Spirit communes with the Lord in our heart. But to experience this renewing, Restoring communion in our heart that makes all things new and gives us fresh vision and expectation and boldness. It's not in the fire. We have to know it's not in the fire. It's not in the wind. In other words, it's not in the busyness. We have to slow down to meet with God, to commune with God. And we have to find a time every day to slow down to commune with God so that the Holy Spirit can daily give us a dose of His communion in our spirit through His Spirit. You realize that Jesus himself, in order to stay fresh, in order to stay focused, in order not to fall into temptation, in order to have a listening ear to his Father leading him through the Spirit, in order to walk in righteousness, in order to function in the power that he rested in as he relied on the Spirit's power, he had to daily set aside time to meet with his Father and pray. This is the Son of God giving us an example of how to live. We read in Mark chapter 1 verse 35 that Jesus got up early in the morning when it was still dark and he went to a solitary place where he prayed. Why did he do that? Because the night before, if you look at Mark 1.34, you see that Jesus ministered late into the night, healing the sick, the whole city, and casting out demons. He was exhausted late into the night. No doubt, as soon as he laid down, his eyes were shut and he was out. He was exhausted, and yet early in the morning when it was still dark, Jesus got up and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Why? Because in the very next verse, in Mark 1.36, we see that Peter and the disciples catch up with him, and they go, oh, there you are. We've been looking everywhere for you. Where have you been? Let's go. Life is busy. Life is busy with demands. Life is busy with, with just nothingness, with things that, that, that don't amount to anything substantial or consequential. And on top of that, there are demands. So if we don't schedule our calendar, our calendar will schedule us. We have to etch as a non-negotiable into our daily pattern time that we get alone 
to spend with God. We have to walk away from the fire. We have to walk away from the wind. We have to walk away from the busyness to seek the face of God, to let His Spirit commune with our spirit. And that's the only way that we are going to daily have the capacity to resist temptation, daily have the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, to daily have the love in our heart to pour out to the people that God has entrusted into our lives. That we're going to daily have the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to be directed this way or that way, or to have the boldness to stand up for Christ and to have the heart for lost people. The only way that our heart will beat in sync with Christ's is if we spend time with Christ daily and listen for his voice in the whisper I encourage you to start with 15 minutes and let it grow find your prayer closet it might be a literal prayer closet it might be the utility room it might be the kitchen table before anybody wakes up or after everybody has gone to bed It might be the fourth botanic gardens. Jesus often accessed a solitary place. He often accessed the Garden of Gethsemane, which is a beautiful place. But our garden, our our botanical gardens is even prettier than that place is. We have no excuse. We have to find some time daily to seek the Lord, to be still. And then you, you, you begin by praying the acts. You adore Him. You confess your sins. You thank Him. You lift up your supplication. And then you open up the word and you just begin reading and you're looking for a promise to obey. You're looking for a command to follow. You're looking for an example to follow. You're looking for the teachings of Christ. You're looking for the Lord to cause a promise to illuminate, to jump off the pages and to resonate with your spirit so that then you can pray with focused faith. And if you're experiencing little joy in your life, I dare imagine that you're experiencing little time with the Lord every day, if at all. So let's return to the Lord. Let's return to our first love. Let's fall in love with Jesus again. Elijah called fire down from heaven. Elijah called prayer down from heaven. Elijah communed with the Lord, and the Lord revived his weary soul. But Elijah had a prayer life. And we read in James 5, 16, Elijah is no different than us. And if we have a prayer life, God will do the same things for us. God will give us His authority through our prayer. God will give us breakthrough through our prayers. And God will commune with our weary hearts through our prayers. So would you stand with me, please? You know, guys, this is something that you have to deal with between the Lord. You and the Lord. I can teach on prayer all day long. I can teach on the power of God all day long. But until you commit to it, until you do it, until it becomes as natural a part of your day as your morning coffee, until it becomes as natural a part of your day as your cell phone, your faith will always be weak. It will always be anemic. You will never experience the authority of God, the breakthrough power of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit in your heart in a manner that differentiates the truth from the lie in this culture, and everybody can see Jesus in you. You will never be that kind of follower of Christ until prayer becomes a part of your life. Have you ever uh, left uh, of a morning, and maybe you got in the car and you put it in reverse, and you realize, oh my gosh, my cell phone, and you feel totally lost without it? It's such a tool in our life these days. And so you wouldn't dare think of leaving without your cell phone, so you put it in park, and you go back in the house, you find your phone, you're like, there it is, okay. 
have this essential tool. Oh, that we would be that dependent on the Word of God. That we would be that dependent upon prayer. You know, Brother Lawrence, who wrote The Practice of the Presence of God, actually discourages a daily time set aside to be with God that we call a quiet time, a devotional time, because he says that it tends to cause Christians to compartmentalize their walk with Christ into that little time, and then they turn that into a work rather than a relationship, but you should commune with God all throughout the day. Well, I do agree that we should never compartmentalize our walk with God, and we should commune with the Lord throughout the day, however... The example of Jesus is to have a daily devotional with the Father. And if he needed it, how much more so do we? And I have found that I do not have the spiritual capacity, the spiritual sensitivity, the spiritual strength, the spiritual endurance to practice the presence of God throughout the day without a daily devotional. If I don't exercise that daily devotional before you know it, I can run all throughout each and every day, and God's just kind of an afterthought or a second thought. But if I commune with God in the devotional place, in the secret place, in my prayer closet, in my quiet time every single day, and I do it not for religion, but for relationship, not to learn more, but to know Him, to seek His face, not because it's what I'm supposed to do as a good Christian, but because I am desperate for His authority in my life. I'm desperate for a breakthrough. I am desperate for Him to commune with my spirit. When I seek Him in the quiet place with that sense of desperation, day after day after day after day, I am more dependent upon the Lord than my cell phone. And I'm like, God, walk with me today. And there's authority on your life. There's breakthrough blessing after breakthrough blessing, blessing falling upon your life. And the Lord communes with you. And your heart and spirit is not dry, but it's refreshed. And you're filled with the Holy Spirit of Christ. God is awaiting for you in your daily devotional. I know somebody who has a setup where he does his daily devotional. He sits in a chair and he has a good reading light and there's a good window to look through and he prays and he reads the word and he journals. And there's a, another chair sitting across from him. And every day that he goes there and he meets with God, he pictures God awaiting him at that chair to commune. But know this, wherever you go about your time with God, God is meeting you. He is awaiting you. And he wants you to sit with him on his throne so you can experience his authority. And he wants you to incorporate into your prayer life grit, perseverance, determination. And persevere and pray. Believing, expecting. Desperate for God to commune with your soul and refresh your spirit. So, would you bow your heads with me, please? And I just want to invite you to return to the Lord. And maybe you need to repent of the cycle of death and return to the cycle of life. Maybe you need to run from dryness and run to restoration through a daily prayer life. And if that's you, I just want to invite you to respond with worship, with thanksgiving, with praise, and even come down to the altar and commit your entire life to fellowshipping and communing with God today and this week. Maybe you need to pray for a breakthrough this morning. Maybe you need to pray for God's authority in your life this morning. Maybe you need to pray that the Spirit would touch your heart and commune with you this morning. Well, well, let's respond, and the altars are open.